My name is Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the last episode of 2022 for the 905er podcast with uh, the 905 Roundup. Uh, as is turning into a, a, a tradition on, on around these parts, as the end of the year, uh, of course, we're going to take a look back at the year that was and, and kind of our, our greatest hits, uh, at least how we see it. And then we thought we'd change it up a little bit and kind of say what we think 2023 uh, is going to be the the main story, the, the main the main thing that we're all going to be talking about uh, in the 905. Um, Roland, what 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 was your top top hit, your your greatest hit for for the last year? Uh, it's a it's a couple, I guess, and I, I think maybe the the first one, and in terms of stories that the the that we at the 905 kind of felt that we, we were not part of, but we're reporting on as part of the community of other podcasts and blogs and whatever. Um, the, in particular, the, the kind of the Hamilton election was one that um, that we both felt was, was was pretty darn important, and that there was Hamilton did see a change election. It did see a a major change in, in um, uh, the councillors at City Hall, a, a brand new mayor. And um, and a very very close and ultimately very interesting race. It looked at some points like it wasn't going to be particularly interesting, but it turned out to be a real kind of humdinger mm-hmm. uh, in a way that really there wasn't anywhere else, with the possible exception of Vaughan. But even that was, you know, Vaughan wasn't really ultimately a change election because the 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 status quo kind of won, albeit it's in the form of a new mayor um, uh, in uh, Hamilton. It was a change election. This is a very different council. Um, we're already seeing that in in some of their actions and some of the ways they they act. Um, and uh, you know, we were just talking before we came on about you know what why is that why was it you know is that just luck is that whatever? It's like well, no. Do you think if, yeah, I mean, I think there's an element that that Hamilton has a community of new media coverage now and you know and it's it's early days i'm not gonna i'm not gonna claim that the spectator still doesn't have massively more influence but when you look at there's us the nine and fiver there's the o show there's joey coleman there's catch hamilton that's been around for quite a few years um uh, all, all those uh entities were were covering um the election in different ways and, and kind of highlighting the deficiencies of some members of the old council in a uh in a way that I, I don't think uh, has happened before. And I think that certainly contributed. I mean, it may, you know, yeah. Uh, well, so I, 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 I would, I would say that, I mean, I remember when, when you and I kind of had a, 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 a sit down strategy meeting when we're heading into the municipal election, we said, where do, how do we want to focus our, our resource, our very limited resources and our attention. And we, we thought, oh man, Hamilton's going to be a write-off. Hamilton's going to be, you know, we thought there was going to be this big change and we thought, that, oh, that it, nothing's going to happen of it. It turns out we were very much wrong big time. Uh, I, I, my, my analysis is that I'm not going to say it's entirely our fault. I'm not that, that hubristic, but I think definitely we played a, a, a part, if not a small part. It just the dialogue on the ver- the various uh, uh, issues 
that people were were concerned about you know whether it was the um uh you know grassroots social organizations uh you know that kind of thing the the issue of sprawl in, in urban boundaries the issue of uh uh talking about uh, uh, Coots Paradise and the, and the leak and the, you know, just there's so many issues. And the, the general sense of the old council was ignoring the very valid concerns of Hamiltonians. And the fact that for so many decades, Hamilton was kind of viewed as this kind of, you know, all, you know, it's, it's a city that could have been. And it was kind of, I, I, I don't know about you, but I got the sense through the course of the election, the course of the year, and talking to people about these issues, that the people were kind of fed up with just that status quo happening. There were people who said, no, we are we don't want to be this the city that could have been. We want the city that is. We want that you want to change the city for the better. Um and they've let they went and a lot of those people kind of went to uh, I thought jumped into the race and said, no, I'm done uh, sitting on the sidelines. And I'm going to get my 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 head in the game, and I'm going to see if I can make a go of it. The next four years, I think, will be interesting to see how Hamilton interacts with the province. Uh, we've already seen that the province is um, uh, uh, very much, I think, antithetical to a lot of what this this council is hoping to accomplish. We already saw that they, despite the the last good thing that the previous council did with uh, maintaining the urban boundary where it is. The status quo in that and saying we're going to focus on intensification in the downtown area, which is badly needed. The province said, nope, we're overturning that. You're going to go into the white belt and possibly even continue to pass that into the green belt uh, uh, to build. This in, in complete violation or complete opposition to the will of the people. How is this going to, how is that relation going to pan out over the next four years? We'll wait and see, but I think Hamilton is. You know, you're right though. There's that this new media is here that we're going to be able to kind of keep our eye on it and keep it a finger on that pulse, a lot better than kind of the the traditional legacy media has been. Uh, you know, that's kind of why we started the podcast. Is that those that legacy media, the Toronto Star, uh, Global Mail, National Post, they they've ignored this region for so long. And perfect example, you and I, I just mentioned this to you before we we hit record. During the election, Robert Benzies of the Toronto Star said, "Oh, Brampton is the race to watch. You know, that's the that's the most exciting race out there." Brampton was called within a half hour. People uh, on election night, there was no contest there. Yeah. You, uh, you and not- we and we we both <laughs> in here. I will put up my hand and and, and absolutely brag and say we called that along oh, with yeah. like, no, that is not the race you want to be watching. That's a non-race. It's Brampton a is not even uh, Brampton is not happening. Uh, uh, Brown is going to win. Um, it's tragic and it's horrendous uh, that he would just walk straight back into City Hall, but that was obviously going to happen. So, yeah, it's strange that, but strange but indicative that so that a really you know a really good journalist um, like um, uh, uh, Robert Benzi, uh, you know, someone I've, I've got a lot of time for, uh, would be completely off. Oh off, yeah, don't don't know. get me wrong. I have a lot of respect for Robert yeah. Benzi. He's he's a pro in every sense of the matter it's just institutionally those papers do not have i really don't think they have their fingers on the pulse of what's happening in no. this region people yeah yeah no it's just just completely uh, off base completely wrong um yeah uh, so uh, 
and, and we know, you know Burlington had its change election four years ago, and um, and you know this election was it was kind of a snooze fest, but kind of not. You know, like there's been some. Well, I mean, it actually brings us to another one of the stories that 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 we kind of feel were important mm-hmm. ones for us, and that was the Burlington secrecy story and the the um, uh, the reporting uh, by. Uh, Two councillors, basically the whole council, uh, uh, to the integrity commissioner of, of the councillor for ward for Sean Stolte, um, uh, as she tried to sort of raise awareness of how um, in-camera meetings were being used. I think you know, again, I think our, our coverage of that was important. I think um, well, we got a lot of response to it of people saying we we're they're yeah. very happy that we were able to kind of shine a more critical light on what is going on. Behind, you know, in camera meetings. Well, and, and to to you know to be to when you're being critical of an entity, to try and be as responsible as possible with that story. So it's like we're not going to you know we're going to go to the trouble of looking at at, at the the number of sessions that are being held privately. How they compared how they compare to to, to the minutes from previous councils. Um, you know the language that's being used, and it was different. And you could, you know, you can show show it just statistically um, that there are there are more meetings and they're being used mm-hmm. in a different way. Um, uh, yeah, so so I think that that kind of thing is, is again where we we can we we can contribute to the to debate, hopefully in in a responsible and and positive way. Um, uh, I dare say someone Burlington Council wouldn't agree with that, but maybe some would. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, and it was the first time that the Marion Mead Wards Council really, and Mary, Marianne Mead Ward herself, took any kind of hit. Um, you know, the, in municipal politics, the the the, um, uh, the uh, uh, honeymoon period lasts up to four years, you know, because people yep. just don't aren't paying that close attention. So really it was, you know, Marion Mead Ward could, Pretty much do what she liked for her first term because she was still the new, new kid, um, and she is someone who who had built up, for whatever reason, a, a very strong and still uh, controls a very strong, um, uh, personal following. Um, so you know she will say she got back in very easily, but I still think there was some political cost to her because of that story. Um, she won back easily because there was no one running against her worth the. Well, worth, worth note. Worth note. And I, I, you know, with all due respect to the people who did run against her, I'm sorry. That's just the case. Um, uh, yeah. uh, and I guess, uh, well, I mean, you had uh, one other story that we covered that that I definitely think is one of the ones that uh, we would we would both yeah. point out as being important. Well, we, we thought it was important, um, and, and something that we we were kind of proud of, uh, kind of being the only, honestly, like the only agency kind of kind of study you know focused on it and that was uh, of course the the issue of uh, the each halton catholic school board uh pride flag uh issue uh i'll put it there uh when we started following just because nobody else was you know and and, you know this was a case of the board turning what really should have been a very simple matter of flying the pride flag uh at HCDSB schools during the during Pride Month as a show of solidarity and acceptance to um, 
the 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 student population who identify uh, on the LGBTQIA spectrum. Um, of course, uh, being what it was, it turned into something far more than that, uh, it, it, a little bit darker. And we took note of it. We said, well, we're just going to shine a light on what's going on here. Uh, it, I know we I know we ruffled some feathers with it. Um, I, I'll be honest, I'm a little proud of that. I, I, I don't, I, I'd rather be punching up than punching down any, any day of the week uh, with this podcast. I, I won't shy away from that. But I mean, in the end, I, I, I want to care. I, I really don't want to don't want to take the credit for this because I think there's there was a lot of grassroots students, teachers, and and parents who were fighting, who really put up the fight and put the pressure on. But I do want to say, like, I feel I felt proud that we were able to kind of shine a spotlight on the, their efforts and keep that pressure in the limelight. Uh, that that so that ultimately, you know, what happened was the the flag is now flying during pride during pride month at hcdsb schools um and i'm just proud that we were able to cover that and kind of and follow that story all the way through from uh from start to finish uh and all the twists and turns that came with it uh all along i know a lot of people enjoyed our coverage and they found it was responsive and and influential and there's kind of one of those things that this is again this wasn't covered by or Star or Global Mail outside of a, a little tidbit on a Saturday paper uh, on the you know, on the on the you know the back page of the of the of the local news issue. This was something that we were able to cover and in live tweet and, and whatnot. I, I was in the end, I was very proud of what we what we did and who we talked to and how we how we covered it. Uh, so I I put that in a win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and and it's I think. The municipal election, from the point of view of the Catholic school board, was was quite disappointing in, in some ways, and that there wasn't more change. However, the two the two people who certainly we would have picked out as as being the most the most egregiously offensive uh, and dishonest and uh, uh, just just absolute disruptive and just in every way. Um, calamitous to the business of, of the school board were Vince Ian, Toma- Ian Tomasi, who's for some reason his name I struggle with, uh, and Tim O'Brien, and they are both gone. Uh, one being voted out and one sort of choosing not to run for re-election and, and trying his hand at um, uh, Ward 2 in, in Burlington and losing by, well, not just a country a mile. <laughs> yeah, a very, very, yeah. very healthy margin. Basically, he may as well have stayed at home for all the votes he got. Um, and I think that hopefully we'll tell him exactly how much he is beloved by the people of Burlington. Uh, so those two are gone and that's good. And, and it, it, you know, it doesn't address some of the remaining problems with the whole Catholic school board system um, with, with people on that board who, uh, who were not as egregiously ridiculous as those, those two gentlemen, but who certainly uh, I believe are an embarrassment as elected officials um, uh, they're just not quite as embarrassing a, 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 as they were. So hopefully this board can get on with the business of just doing whatever it is that trustees do um, in, in a less self-aggrandizing, less disruptive, less uh, ridiculous fashion. Um, I will tell. Yeah. Um, so 
that instead of tuning our own own horn horn <laughs> our own horn for the rest of this uh, episode and uh patting ourselves on the back until we uh break our arms uh we we did want to kind of take a look towards the future and what we thought 2023 at least at the onset of 2023 what we thought uh the go-to story that's going to be on everyone's mind uh, is going to be. And if, if you can't, if you've been listening to this podcast for the last month, I'm sure you know what's coming. Uh, the green belt. Uh, more importantly, or more specifically, Doug Ford's decision to carve up 7,400 acres of the green belt and basically hand it over to developers for them to do with as they wish. Um, I, I The story is not going away. Um, our previous episode we had on uh, Tim Gray from Environmental Defense uh, to talk about their continued pressure to shine a light on what happened. The, 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 the as more and more of the story comes out, it's got the makings of an honest to goodness scandal, like a, a, a real bona fide, like shady dealings in a in the in the back rooms, you know, uh, uh, just. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine kind of old school uh, Tammany Hall uh, uh, corruption. And, and basically, what we, if, you, if you don't know what we're talking about, summary is this. The question is, how, how did these developers purchase the exact plot of lands that became open for development uh, in the, at the end of 2022 when they only bought it, you know, what, a month? couple of weeks before they were opened up and they bought them for a song. And now they look to be sitting on millions of dollars. Some of these companies took out loans with 20% interest to purchase this land. Um, you don't do that on a gamble or on a, you know, cross my, cross my fingers and I hope for the best. Something fishy went on here. We don't know that the dots, but this isn't a, I mean, if these guys, these guys picked the right plot of land on a on a lark. These guys are in the wrong business. They should not be developers. Well, it's worth remembering. I mean, we were speaking, so we spoke today. Well, we didn't speak today. We spoke in our last episode of Tim Gray from Environmental Defense. And he he pointed out, as many have done, you know, the, the, the repeated promises that Doug Ford made that they that his government wouldn't touch the green belt. But we then what we also need to remember is that in 2018. There was a video that was released of mm-hmm. Doug Ford speaking at a private uh, fundraising event, uh, the kind of event that happens, you know, if people still were allowed to smoke indoors, they would very much be smoke-filled rooms, um, which uh, developers and corporate interests and people of whatever pay large amounts of money to go and attend. Doug Ford standing up and saying, once we're elected, that green belt's going to go away. Uh, those aren't his exact words, but he made it very clear that attacking the green belt was what he meant. So what's happening now really is, is a confirmation of what so many of us feared and believed was the ultimate agenda. And it's like, yep, here it is. I told you so. Um, uh, but the nakedness and the complete lack of, the almost complete lack of kind of apparent combunction or, or embarrassment about what they're doing I mean, again, like governments don't do anything. Um, it, there's no action that a government will ever take unless someone's asking for it, uh, someone's campaigning for it, someone wants it. And usually it takes a, a, a combination of 
you know, what governments call stakeholders, whether that's the voters, whether that's industry, whether that's a particular group of activists, whether that's whatever. Uh, usually you need a lot of those working over many decades to make progress. Uh, the wheels of government turn slow. And in this case, there is only one group that is making any pressure on the government with regard to the Green Belt and with regard to the, the many other attacks on the environment or on housing that have happened. And that is the development industry. And it just so happens that those guys are buying land at the right moment, are, are getting uh, laws overturned that directly affect a specific plot of land in a specific municipality. Um, you can point to that in Burlington happening. Um, that's not Greenbelt land. That's just other land that is just, oh, hey, Precious, funny that this guy who's got a decade long, many decade long uh, history of donating to, to the party gets something that he was asking the council for for the last two decades. Isn't that odd? Um, and, and I guess the question we, we were we were just sort of throwing around before we came on, and it's like, well, actually, this is kind of, I think, kind of almost the angle that you want to look at. It's like, how does this compare with, is, is this the PC's gas plant scandal? I think it's worse. I think it's much worse. It should. So, and, and, and the gas plant scandal, I mean, for people who here, here, can't think okay, back that far. Here, here, hang on, hang on. I want to play test with our, our listeners. Listeners, what was the gas plant scandal? And I, I'm asking this seriously to you. Like, can you right now recall in detail what the this criminality was over the gas plant scandal? I'm going to bet that you probably don't. Like right now, if you, like you're thinking, yeah, there's something with some gas plants, and, and they moved it around the, the province, right? Yeah. But what was the actual crime committed? What was what was the the back? You know, who who profited? Off of that, who 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 got the big pile of money from who, moving this? Who got the, the the suitcase full of used exactly? Notes? And there were no suitcases of used notes. No, no one made a no politician certainly made a penny out of it. Um, for those who don't remember, what what happened was there were two two gas plants that that were planned and approved. One of which had actually they'd actually sort of got as far as building some foundations that were cancelled. Um, as the result of public pressure, uh, local public pressure uh, in Oakville. I'm trying to remember where the other one was. Mississauga. Um, Mississauga, right. Uh, so basically there, were, there was opposition and, and you know, the, the, the big sort of... It was done uh, during, the, during the election. If yeah, the big said scandal it. at the time was like, you're only doing that for votes, which I always think is the most hilarious criticism for any government. You're only doing that for votes. It's like, yeah, that's democracy. You do things for votes. Uh, votes means it's popular. So, yeah, it. I mean, I think ultimately the the uh, corners were cut. It was done with a timing uh, that was clearly political. I don't think we can deny that it was political, but it was also ultimately about doing what the people of Oakville and the people of Mississauga wanted. Uh, mm -hmm. Gas plants were still built. They were just built in other places. In fact, one I think one gas plant wasn't built because this was back in 2008 and there was a massive downturn in, in power yeah. usage. And the other one, I think, went out somewhere near Napanee Way. And there were some additional costs there because Napanee is further away. Basically, you're then in the business of moving power around, which is itself an expensive proposition. You want to have power close to people. So basically, it was a political decision. There was no, no one got rich out of it. 
it was just it was an attempt to keep seats, sure. Mm-hmm. But what's wrong with that in a democracy? As opposed to this, um, but like, let, which is literally about money, and which is literally about uh, somebody got rich. Somebody's getting rich off of this, and it's not you or me, folks. You know, the, the, everything about this has the the makings of just a literal backroom deal. Two like two people of power saying, "Hey, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine." Somebody somewhere said, "Hey, I want you know, tell me you know, I want to buy this land. Okay, I'll free it up for you. Okay, date time, boom. I'm gonna, I need to buy it, buy it for a song, and now I'm walking away, you know, with million, hundreds of millions of dollars in profit now. Once uh, the dust is settled and the and the the final sale is made, this does look." You know, it, it, so, somewhere there's a, there is an email chain, there is a phone record. There is just there's something out there. We we I think we all know it. We all know that it's it's sitting in somebody's inbox. It's sitting on somebody's phone. There's a phone call. There's a voicemail. There's a, a an email somewhere in this province that is just going to blow this thing wide open, and it's not going to look good for this pro for this uh, government. This this may this. I'm going to go and predict this. This year, 2023 may be the year that we declare Doug Ford's government the most corrupt government in the history of Ontario, or at least the most corrupt this century so far. Yeah, and, and the irony is that governments aren't, you know, they're, they're all the same, they're all corrupt. You know, these are the kind of phrases that get around. Actually, they're not. In, in a conventional sense, they're not breaking. But if you go and look at retired politicians, they're not living in mansions by and large. Uh, most of them, certainly at the provincial level, uh, of you know, they don't actually get pensions. They don't. They get paid well, but not extortionately well. Um, they don't. Um, you know, it's a comfortable salary, but there's no job security, right? You can get fired after four years or after eight years, and it's like, yeah, see you. Um, by and large, our political system is not, you know, if you want to be corrupt and make money, don't become a politician. That's a terrible way to get rich. Um, I'm a developer uh, bribing the politician. Well, I, 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 I the hilarious thing about Ontario is like, if you want to, if you want to buy influence, you can buy it so cheaply in Ontario because the donation limits, the way the donation limits work, it's like, if I donate $500 to a riding association, now, five hundred dollars is nothing, and you know, we look at the U.S. or we look at Britain, uh, where you know, millions of pounds or dollars are, are changing hands. Because uh, certainly in the U.S., there's no limit whatsoever. And at five hundred dollars, will get me a lot of attention from the local MPP because they're like, "Oh wow, that's a big donor." Five hundred bucks? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like embarrassingly small amount, really. But I mean, that that's our system. Again, no one's getting rich from that, but you can buy influence that cheaply because you will be noticed if you make a $500 donation to, uh, you know, your local, certainly your local uh, progressive. I don't, think, I don't think it's, it's, it's that uh, I'll be honest. I think it's honestly a belief that this business, like the business powers that be know what's best than all, better than all of us. And all the, the rules and regulations that we have in place to preserve our our environment, to preserve our 
workers' rights to preserve the places that we live, you know, or to just make sure that we are all informed and educated on what's happening in the province so that if we do have questions, we can get them answered in a timely and, and comprehensive manner. This government says, no, forget that. That's too much work. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to have to worry about having to be accountable. I don't want to have to worry about convincing people that my plan is the right plan. I mean, that's, that's a truly what a leader does. You might have something that's really unpopular at first, but if you're a good leader, you go to the people and say, this is the situation. I think this is the solution to the problem. This is what I want to do. I need your support. And you win them people over and they say, okay, I see your argument. I, I, I'm on board with you now. A good leader does that. We don't have that in this province. They just, they can't, they can't be bothered coming to us and saying, hey, I think we need to cut into the green belt to free up, uh, to, to build more houses, to bring the cost of houses down. And I mean, right off the bat, all of us, there, we've had people on this podcast who say, well, no, we don't need to do that. We have plenty of space existing to build there. The problem is just telling a developer, well, you save us from this housing crisis is kind of like telling the, the, the wolf, well, you look after the chicken coop. They're, they're going to, you know, we know that there's no rush for them to build the house or to build affordable houses. So there's no rush for them to build $200,000 homes when they can say, I can sit on that land. And when it becomes an $800,000 home, I put it on the market and then I hope a bidding war jacks up to a million. All the province has done is, 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 is poured fuel onto a speculation market, a land speculation market that was already uh, on fire, but which, which the developers control at every, at every angle. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I had a conversation with a developer back in 2019, um, and it, you know, he was he was complaining, as is completely legitimately his his uh, right uh, about the you know the public opposition to to developments. And he said, "I don't care if the public wants to uh, oppose this building because all it means is that when it." finally gets built, I can charge more. That's, that's the quote from a major developer who shall remain nameless. Uh, basically, basically, all the public opposition does is mean I earn more money in the long run. Uh, and it's like, all, you know, it's, it's just hilarious, this whole situation, and that, that nothing the government has done is actually going to help with the, the, the genuine housing crisis that we're, we're all facing. But we're just, we're, I think we're at a point now where Again, coming back, the story of 2023 is going to be the slow unraveling of what happened to what happened regarding Bill 23 uh, and this and this government. I I don't. There's there's just nowhere that this narrative ends where we all come around to Doug Ford's point of view and say, "Oh yeah, okay, I see where I see why you did what you did, and why and when you did it when you did it." There's something and, and fishy think, happened here, folks. And when the tr- when we start, we already have a, a good picture. When we just finally start connecting those dots and we see the whole image clearly and in the light of day, I don't think it's going to look well on Doug Ford. And it, the, here, here's the thing. If we find out what happened here and it does not look good, if there was legitimate scandal corruption happening here, um, this early in his term, 
what like I, I, my question is politically, what can he do? I mean, other, unless he just wants to start hammering through notwithstanding clause bills in perpetuity to to push through legislation that he knows it, it, it's going to infringe on people's rights or, or whatever have you, or just push through, keep pushing through legislation that is wildly unpopular. Um, I don't know, like I, I can't see him. I just don't. I just don't know where that leaves him in this province. Now, well, right now, I think he gets away with it because there's no opposition to him at Queens Park. Well, I mean that 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 that's the final part of the thing, and it, and and it, you know, as part of our kind of prediction that that this will be a story that doesn't go away, and that that kind of defines the next three and a half years till the next election. Um, that depends very much on the new leader of the NDP, uh, Marit Stiles, and whoever the new leader of the Ontario Liberals should be, um, doing a far more effective job of opposition than um, their two predecessors uh, did um, uh, during the, the COVID. And, you know, f- fine, COVID pandemic, I mean, that was like, it was an extraordinary time. And I don't think for whatever reason, that kind of crisis seems to actually help incumbents, um, <laughs> despite the manifest incompetence at every turn. Um, I, I think people just, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but I don't think that's the case now. And, and you know, the you know, going back to the gas plant story, the opposition, um, again, as is their right and, and as they were able to do, managed to hang those that gas plant story around the neck of the liberals under two separate premiers over about six years at least it just went on and on and on and on even though i mean you know pointing out my own biases here i mean during the, that time i was a member of the ontario liberals i was a riding president i had my own you know you can claim i'm biased until whatever it seems to me like if you're if you're claiming that something was corrupt and, and terrible, you've got to show me who's making money here. Mm-hmm. And I can't see anybody making money out of that. Um, you can claim that it was a waste of public money. Um, uh, the $1 billion number gets thrown around a lot. I could probably pick holes in that number if you wanted me to, but let's say it was a billion dollars. Uh, this is a government that's blowing, what, $13 billion on a road that nobody wants to once um this you know one billion is like pocket change for these guys uh, and we were all worked up about one billion dollar on a couple of gas plants that the public did not want now if the public if the general public was saying you know what we do not want green belts we think there's a better route we think we need to build on these if that was what the electorate was saying that's fine that's democracy i mean i wouldn't like it wouldn't mean i thought it was any writer but that would be democracy in action yeah, but um, this, that's what this this go- we we did an episode before, and this government does not like democracy. This government does not like doesn't believe in it. Doesn't yeah. no. It, it's a it's a it's a barrier to getting what they want done. Consequences be damned. Um, and that that I think will be the story of twenty twenty three. Ultimately, is that this more and more evidence that this government does not care about uh, uh, uh you know the the charter they don't care about the the legislation that's there environmental protections workers rights um it's just it's not going to matter it's going to be a a hindrance and a barrier to an agenda that they think serves the province as a whole but in reality will only serve a very select few uh i'm going to say that's 
it for uh for this year folks we are uh we're off for the christmas uh christmas holidays and we'll be back sometime in the new year with more of the 905er thanks everyone merry christmas and happy holidays merry christmas happy holidays and we'll see you in 2023 goodbye that's it for this episode of the 905er thank you for listening as always you can send us your feedback thoughts and concerns or ideas for future episodes to our email info at 905er.ca we'd love to hear from you you can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through patreon as well as paypal visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab as well links are in the show notes for your convenience Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Candace Sampson, the voice behind what she said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.